Hej och välkommen till en ny episode av Pelkvartera en podcast med mig Lars Sivertsen i samarbete med Betsson. Vi har en ny gäst, de har igen en tillbakavändande gäst. Det är likadant att man har en lite sån eh, grupp av folk som prövar få tag i när det när det passar sig och så tillbaka i resten av podcasten på engelska så the rest of it will be in English and it's it's a new it's a new returning guest. I'm just saying that in Norwegian. I like the fact that we have now a cast of a couple of guys who've who we've had on more than once. It's, it's very exciting. I'm so glad for you that you can take your time. It's, it's Mr. Rafa Honigstein. The very excellent Rafa Honigstein. Hello, you're too nice. You're so <laughs> nice, that's why I've come back on. <laughs> Thank you very much. Because uh, we have to talk. It's, it's exciting times um, in, in Germany now from a Norwegian perspective. Uh, we have we have a blonde guy who is there, who, who works very hard, who's, who's loved and respected by all. Uh, but in addition to Per Siljan Schellbreid, there is also... See what I did there? Yeah, very good. So your face is laughing, but there's no sound, which is bad for podcasts. But I, I, let me just, for the record... My soul is smiling. It, it worked. The joke worked. Um, and Aling Badholan, of course, we have to talk about. It's, it's extraordinary. Uh, for me, personally, he's from my tiny city in, in, in Brina. Uh, for, for anyone to do anything noteworthy from Brina is, is a big thing to begin with, never mind being one of the most exciting young footballers on the planet. For Norway, we've not been very good for a long time, so having this exciting wonderkind uh, sort of emerge onto the scene, it's it, it's really hard for us not to get carried away. Uh, from your perspective, slightly more cool-headed uh, German man, should we be getting carried away? I think everyone's getting carried away, but in a positive sense, how can you not be when a guy comes on and scores every single game, uh, whether he starts or, or doesn't, whether his team win or don't, um, he he scores, and it's almost now seen as as a given that the guy will score and create chances, which is which is unbelievable for someone who's by his own admission still not hundred percent fit, who's still you know part of the setting in process at Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund's still learning how to play with him, and I think the excitement perhaps is slightly more localized because it is a Dortmund player rather than a Germany player, of course, but it's reaching pretty big hype levels as well simply because I think everyone's realizing with every game with every goal that this is a real coup that Dortmund were that Dortmund managed to pull off getting this guy into the Bundesliga and to play for Dortmund and everyone's really appreciative of that and, and I guess the thing that oh, there's so much you can talk about what he's good at his physique you know his movement which is very clever and all this stuff the thing that just really strikes me it's just he's mentally he seems so chilled out and just just not bothered at all when you put a a bigger challenge in front of him than before you know went from Molde to Austria scored a ton of goals now they play in the Champions League scores there as well and you you put him at Dortmund in front of all the people at the at the at the Signale Duna Park as I guess it's technically known and he just comes on against Cologne and looks like he's just playing down the park like intensity of course but he doesn't seem no nervousness no the the, the finish from no angle at all. It's it's very unusual to have a guy who's has so much and he just doesn't seem to care. Like it's it's so extraordinary. It is. Although uh, we did see him try to head uh, the ground uh, after his um, header was saved late on against Bremen in the cup, which where Dortmund lost. Um, so I guess the uh, the ground was quite soft, so no lasting damage. But that was an interesting uh, reaction and an insight into his character. Uh, didn't look quite as cool and collected uh, in that very moment, but I think you're right. Um, like most 
really successful strikers I think he has this ability to stay really calm in front of goal and also not to worry about missing chances so far he hasn't had uh, time to to worry too much because he's taken almost every single chance but I think that is a is a big thing and Dortmund have been crying out for for a player like him and I think ultimately that made the difference as well because the need on the club side was greater at Dortmund than anywhere else. Of course, you can say that United could have really done with somebody who scores goals. But I think it wasn't perhaps as straightforward knowing that you have the likes of Rashford and, and Martial around, whereas Dortmund really did not have anyone, with the exception of Alcacer, who was already on his way out and doesn't really lead the line in the same way anyway. Yeah, I wanted to get onto that because obviously uh, people listening to this podcast are... Uh, Norwegians, we tend to watch a lot of English football. We're a very Anglophile country, and 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 we were before it was the sort of global phenomenon. Anyway, like we've been watching uh, English football since the seventies and eighties, and and this sort of thing. So my listeners will be enormously familiar with Man United, maybe not that familiar with Dortmund. Uh, and I, I'm sure there are some people listening to this who would have thought, why why do you go to Dortmund when you had the option, I guess, of, of going to Man United? What what is it about Dortmund that you think attracted him to to that club? I mean, there there, there are a lot of lef- different levels we can we can address this question. First of all, I think you have to say that at this moment in time, Dortmund are a better team. They have really exciting players. They play good football. They play the sort of system where somebody like Jaden Sancho, who's still you know, at a similar age to to Haaland, still growing as a player, can really shine, can really go from being a talent to being almost a fully-fledged superstar in the space of two years. Um, the similar story with Dembele before that, uh, with Obama Young, who was a little bit older, but again came from sort of nowhere in Saint-Étienne and became a superstar at Dortmund. So they have a a track record of taking talented players and turning them into, into real stars. Um, while still being competitive. I mean, this is not a club and a league where you're just going to, you know, kind of turn up and score hundreds of goals. Uh, You have a chance to win stuff, but uh, you are at the 12th or 13th richest club in the world. And I think that is reflected in the quality of of the team. And I think people underestimate just sometimes how, how good Dortmund are because, of course, they are overshadowed by an even better German team wearing different colours. Is, is there anything in particular... I mean, what is there anything we can say about what is the magic ingredients at this club? I mean, why do they... Why have they been able to repeatedly put extraordinarily talented players into the club and and sell on fully-fledged global superstars? I mean, is there anything in particular they do? Is there anything about the culture at the club? Is it just a, a, a mix of, of opportunity and, and and a good team in which to shine? I think there's two factors here. First of all, their scouting is just really good. So they don't tend to buy many duds. They don't always get it right, but they get it right more often than, than not. And if you are surrounded by great players, by technical players, you play a certain way, I think especially attacking players, they will shine. Um, if you look at the uh, players that play behind Harlan now for Dortmund, with Royce, Hazard, Brandt, Guerrero, Sancho, um, Goetze potentially. I mean, there's there's like half a dozen of players who either in practice or in theory will be just looking for you all the time. And these are superstar players and maybe not in terms of the name, but in terms of their ability to make things happen. So as a striker, it's a dream. So their scouting is really good. 
They they tend to buy good players, tend to buy players that gel and and, and develop. But also I think over the last few years they've had really good coaches. I mean, coaches make players better. Um, that started with Jurgen Klopp, who turned interesting mid-sized players in terms of the quality into real stars who suddenly went to superstar clubs or when Joe became German nationals or went somewhere else. Um, it continued under Thomas Tuchel. And uh, even though Favre has not been able to have the same success collectively, I think you'd be hard pushed to say that he's not the kind of manager that also improves players individually because of his attention to detail. He's a, the sort of guy that will stop a training session and say to Haaland, you need to move yourself a little bit differently, change the angle of your foot when you control the ball because it gives you an extra split second to react if you're already um, in the right position to then play the next pass. So really, really detailed, um, minute coaching, which is very beneficial. So all these things are certainly not happening at Man United at the moment. <laughs> I think that's probably a fair thing to say. Um, I, I did watch uh, the uh, sort of behind the scenes at Dortmund series that, that Amazon uh, did. And, and, and these sh- these shows are always a bit of a mixed bag. But certainly what you say about Tuchel showing through his attention to detail, his, his focus on... on, on Favre. Good Lord, thank you, Rafa. That's, that's terrible, of course, Favre. Uh, but you have had this really interesting theory elsewhere. Because of course, Favre in his career has often played without a traditional uh, number nine. I mean, he and we've seen this at Dortmund, he loves these sort of nippy attackers. And you want, in his mind, maybe an ideal forward line has like Togen Hazard and, and, and Sancho and maybe Brandt can be there and like Royce will, will run around and they'll just all be sort of small attacking players running around together. Uh, and you had this great theory that I really like is that this might be a strange case of, of a, not just a, not a, player being signed to to develop under a manager but actually a player be signed to develop the manager because you're kind of forcing him like hey we have this amazing number nine now i mean you might not like it lucien favre but you're gonna have to play him <laughs> so you think that it's almost like the leadership of the club is trying to steer him in the right direction and there's definitely an element of that i think they they went public not a few months ago saying it was a mistake not to buy a, a second strike at the time because Alcasa was still there but the subtext very much was you know we perhaps shouldn't have listened to Lucien we perhaps as a club should have taken that decision and you know Dortmund are, are run to a certain extent independent of the manager I mean they will not of course try to sign players that he doesn't want uh, they will try to find players that fit the characteristics of his of his philosophy at the same time they understand that players tend to be there for three four maybe five years managers tend to be there for shorter periods of time so as a club it makes a lot of sense to say we as a team need a center forward we have a chance to get one of the best high potential center forwards at a at a price that we can still afford we won't be able to afford them two three years down the line so now is is the golden opportunity for us now is the window that we can use and if next year there'll be a change, whoever will come in will be very happy to have Erling Haaland there. So they're taking a slightly more long-term and independent view of of where the team should be, and and Bayern are ex- effectively the same. Um, you know, if just imagine what would have happened if they only signed the players that Nico Kovac wanted, uh, coming from Frankfurt, <laughs> where he liked certain strikers, you know, who were very hardworking and this kind of stuff. But then. The next guy so comes Ante, in and then... Ante Rebic, Bayern number 10. Yeah, correct. And then what do you do then with this guy who's on a four-year contract making a lot of money? So 
it's um, it makes a lot of sense to be a little bit more independent. It does. Again, I think a lot of Norwegians and and probably myself included, quite Anglophile, quite Anglo-centric, we're maybe more familiar with this. So the the manager is the god uh, approach to the thing, and we think, okay, this is strange. Holland has been signed by a club where maybe the coach doesn't even like playing with a big number nine. Coach, uh, the coach player relationship is very important. But you can turn that on its head and say that for the player, there must be a certain safety in knowing that I'm not. Not just here because one guy in that office likes me. I'm actually here because the club as a whole sees me as a big part of their future. I mean, ideally, of course, you have both. You have the backing of, of the coach and you have a sense that you really are wanted by him and, and uh, an important part of the puzzle, but also the club backing you and thinking you're going to be a long-term future if you want to be. I mean, in his case, he'll be free to do whatever he wants in a couple of years' time when his release clause kicks in. Until then, though, I think his performance and his importance for the team will be such that even Favre will not have a choice uh, to play him. I mean, the game against uh, Bremen and the Cup was, was a great example already. He he was rested. Um, he's still being eased in, not being fully fit. And there came a point where everyone's kind of looking around thinking, where's where's Haaland now? You know, now he's supposed to be on the pitch and score three goals now. And he comes on and, of course, he very nearly scores three goals. And uh, I think it's inevitable that he will be one of the first names on the on team, team sheet, especially now if um, Marco Royce, who uh, was substituted and got injured, um, if he's out for a few weeks, then that makes the need to, to play Haaland even greater. Yeah, I guess I think immediately now at the weekend they play uh, Peter Bosch's Leverkusen. That could be like 5-7 to one of the teams or something. It could be very interesting because two, be two teams are probably quite a lot better going forward. I mean, forward. If, you, if you are um, Norwegian and you're Anglophile, which I totally understand, you you know, maybe like Man United. Um, but if you want to watch good football, <laughs> uh, I think it'd be a good opportunity to dip your toes, as it were, into into some Bundesliga stuff on a Saturday. Yeah, no, that should be really exciting. And listen, we're, we're from a small... I think maybe all countries have this, but we're from a small country, so we are a little bit obsessed about what other people think of us. Uh, I think this, in my experience, is certainly true for the smaller countries because, you know, we know we're quite small in the world, so when anything even vaguely Norwegian-related happens abroad, it makes big headlines. You know, foreign person said this about Norwegian person. That's a classic sort of staple headline in the Norwegian media. So I'm going to have to ask you here... Uh, Rafa, like, w- what is the perception already of, of Holland in in Germany? You mentioned that the hype is really building. Could you talk a little bit more about how the reception has been, how he's seen in the media, how, how what, what ex-pros are saying about him, this sort of thing? Well, I think the hype um, built slowly because he was signed, as we call it in Germany, between the years, so between Christmas and New Year, when it's a little bit quiet, everyone's on holiday, there's no football, so it didn't quite have the immediate impact of, oh, wow, this superstar is here. Um, Even the newspapers were kind of slow to cover the whole story. But now that he started playing and had this unbelievable impact, you know, scoring three goals on his debut, then continuing to score a brace in the next two games, another game, another goal in his fourth game, it's building. And I think there's a realization that what Dortmund did here, especially in context of all the other opportunities that he had, is is very very special indeed and I think in combination with Sancho who is also such an attraction and and a guy that is already on the verge of sort of outgrowing Dortmund because he's so good I do think there's a there's a appreciation of just having these guys around in the Bundesliga at the moment um, 
most big clubs in the world would love to have either of them. It'd be a dream to have both of them in the same team. And who knows how long how long that will last, but just to see them play together um, in a side that can, with a ball, attacking-wise, you know, be just breathtakingly attractive and, and interesting to see uh, in Dortmund. I think people are really enjoying it, even if their sympathies lie elsewhere. It's, it's hard not to enjoy a pure goal scorer and that kind of exuberance and uh, yeah, an excitement that, that translates from the pitch back to the, back to the viewers. And, and lastly on Holland, you mentioned the, the clause in, uh, in his contract and the fact that he might move on uh, in a little while. I mean, there's been some mixed reporting on what the, what the actual situation is. Could you clear it up for, for us? I mean, as far as you know, what is his contractual situation at Dortmund? So there is a release clause. The exact figure is being disputed. You get different numbers from different people depending on perhaps their relationship to that clause, whether they benefit or they see it as a bit of a disadvantage. The numbers uh, change a little bit, but I think it's we can safely say it's somewhere not too far from 100 million euros, uh, probably a little bit less than that, but not much less than that. Uh, but certainly, as far as I know, slightly more or quite a bit more than the 60 million euros that were first reported by United um, unofficially as one of the reasons why they couldn't do the deal because it was a very cheap release clause and they would have been basically um, had no control over Haaland's future. Um, I think it's it's quite a lot more than that. So then the question is when, it is, when does it kick in? Um, again, there are two, um, two schools of thought or two conflicting informations out there. Uh, 2022 is the number, the year that I've been told, but... I know that there's a difference between what I've been told and some of my colleagues from uh, from Build and elsewhere, whether that is the summer of 2022 or the winter of 2022. Mm. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Uh, the bottom line is that the next two years, um, just over two years, there is no release clause, which I don't think will stop anyone making big offers again in the summer. But until 2022. Already, yeah, why Why wouldn't you try? Why wouldn't you try? Um, the thing is, you will have to pay crazy money. You'll have to pay 150, maybe 200 million euros. But if you wait two years more, you will still pay the same money. The money might not go to Dortmund, but it'll be reflected in much higher wages and a sign-on fee and commission, etc. So his value is not going to go down, even if the release clause will make him cheaper in theory no but i think dortmund dortmund will do what they have done in the past with players like that where they know it's not forever they're realistic they try to participate and give them a platform to improve and and get as much as they can out of the player before there's a mutually beneficial time um to kind of have a divorce or to have a departure and with sancho they think coming to that situation in the summer and with Haaland, they'll be very resistant to anything uh, this summer and probably next as well. But they're not naive. They know that um, that's going to be the dynamic, uh, that the better he gets, the more there'll be talk of him leaving. That is kind of just a sign of actually things going how they should be. Because if there wasn't that interest, then it meant he, wasn't, he wouldn't be doing well. And uh, they'd rather 
have all that than a player who doesn't work out and who nobody wants. Rafa, I, that's very good. I'm being the giddy Norwegian. I was expecting more sort of steely head, sort of calmness from you, suggesting a potential two hundred million pound bid for him in the summer. That's even more giddy than what I had in mind. Uh, thank you very much. That's very exciting, and I think that the mentality of this uh, whole Dortmund situation is, is very intriguing. I have willfully turned off my sort of trademark alarm for this pod because I. It's not that often I get to talk about someone from my little town uh, and with you as well. But we are now well over 15 minutes, which is our usual limit. In fact, over 20 minutes. Scandalous stuff, but I do think a bit of extra time was warranted. Thank you so much for your time, Rafa. Anytime.